0: So today we have a very special episode. It is our first author interview.
1: Yeah, this took place a few months ago. And we've been really excited to share this with you because it was our first time interviewing an author of a book that both of us really, really love.
0: You know, they say don't judge a book by its cover. Well, also don't judge other things by perceptions because I came across this book when I saw a book trailer for it. And I don't like book trailers. I don't know why it's just a weird thing that I have, but I watched it. And I thought, this book looks really interesting. So I tweeted about it and then that's how we were able to get in touch with Michelle. Like Lacey said, we both really loved this book and she was a fantastic person to talk to. Just really nice.
1: So nice. So down to earth. Really humble. It's like she has attained such success and has written a really great book and I can't wait to read others by her. But she was so open to talking to us and just really wonderful. We had... Some sound issues, which you'll hear later. She rolled with it, we rolled with it, and just kind of made the best of the situation and ended up having a great conversation. I would I would love to talk to her again. I definitely want to have her on the show again.
0: Yeah, the sound issues are why this episode hasn't come out sooner. I was trying to see if I could come up with some ways to fix it but my editing abilities are limited and we're presenting it to you as it is yeah as it is and some parts are a little hard to hear but otherwise it's a really great interview
1: yeah and I think that you'll take that away you know things happen we're we're baby podcasters we've been doing this less than two years and we knew a lot less a few months ago when this was recorded maybe now we would be able to figure it out but at the time that this is this is what we had And it's great. It's a really great conversation. So if you can look past the sound issues and just appreciate it for what it is, I think you're gonna get something really great out of it.
0: We don't get into too many spoilers with it. It's not our usual in-depth look at the plot
1: because we kind of this this book for me. I wanted to leave it unspoiled because I really. I really like it. Lara knows this about me because obviously we work together. We're, we're related and we talk a lot. I'm a life coach and an arts educator and I don't always have a lot of time to read. This was a book that I couldn't stop listening to because Lara has introduced me to the beautiful world of audiobooks, which are great for me because I'm always on the go. I'm always going somewhere. I could not stop listening to this book. I listened to it in two days and it is not what I would call a short read or listen. There's a lot there. I listened to it all all it was a Friday and a Saturday and I remember I listened to it late into the night on Friday and I got it the first thing the next morning and put it on.
0: I've never seen Lacey go through a book that fast before because usually I'm like, how far are you? What part are you at? And she's like, leave me alone or I'm gonna stop. <laughs> and
1: the case with this one is I was texting her and I was calling her and probably annoying you going oh my gosh are you at this part has this happened and she's like lady listen <laughs> it's I have, midnight I, I'm working I think that that just goes to show you like how we feel about the book obviously we've been gushing about it for like five minutes it goes to show like how much how much this interview meant to us how much it meant for us to be able to do this with Michelle it was such an honor that she was willing to do this I think it speaks to us not wanting to spoil the book too and I think anyone's gonna love the book I think women especially though of all ages are going to really enjoy it because I think it it kind of speaks to different places in your life as as you grow up yeah because there's
0: three different main characters that are all in different points in their life and different ages yeah While some have been through similar experiences, like, you know, two of the characters have been married. The youngest one is a 15-year-old girl, so she hasn't been married. But there are some shared experience. There's also varied experiences. We were talking about this before we started recording that
1: different things in their life is what helps them in this story. Absolutely. And ultimately because the women the two main women Jessica and Lauren who you will learn about more when you read this book and listen to this interview start off as adversaries for very understandable reasons. As they go through this very traumatic situation and circumstances they find that they have more in common than what they realized. And it's really when they stop resisting things about themselves, things in their past, things that make them who they are. It's when they stop resisting it and when they start wielding it almost as a weapon that, that these characters become very empowered. And we also were talking about they make a lot of mistakes. They don't do it right. It's not like the movie where it's like always pick the right wire. It's like sometimes they, they make missteps and I think that that's really comforting as a reader to hear because so many times in movies and, and books and different kinds of media characters just make the right decision. They just know what to do, and no one can ever ca- catch them off guard. But it's kind of cool to see a character get caught off guard and still be able to come out on top in the end.
0: Yeah, because I read a lot of like you know amateur detective novels, or somebody gets thrust into a situation and they have to figure out who did it. They always yeah seem to know what to do. And I think about okay, well what would I do if I was in that situation? Be like I would have no clue. Yeah, I would. I don't know how to track down a suspect, and that's what I feel like from them is they have some skills from different things that have happened in their past, but they also,
1: they're just trying to figure it out. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it is I talk about this phrase a lot, perpetual creative response. And I think you see this on great display in this book because the characters constantly do not know what to do and constantly just kind of have to be like, okay, what seems like the best option? What can I do? What's the next step I can take? I, I really love too that, some of the life experiences that the characters have gone through in the book, um, Michelle has kind of infused her own story into that. And I really admire that because I think that's, again, it, it's owning it's owning your past in a really great, productive way and, and really rounding out characters because these women are good people. But like all of us, they have made mistakes. And so we're just going to give a little synopsis to the book. I'm just going to read the Amazon one. Please hold for page loading. Mm. Oh, there's only one left in stock on Amazon! Michelle! You're almost sold out on Amazon! Yes! Can I read some praise for this book, Laura? So Kirkus Reviews says, Miller populates her novel with truly dynamic female characters, a tense novel with three remarkable main characters. The New York Journal of Books says, offering insight into the workings of the judicial system, the FBI, and the underworld, this fast-paced and explosive novel is filled with intrigue. Totally agree with that. So here's A description of "Widows in Law" by Michelle W. Miller. After the sudden death of her ex-husband Brian, Lauren helps Brian's much younger widow Jessica arrange the funeral and settle his affairs. Although they were once adversaries in the battle for Brian's heart, Lauren agrees to pitch in for the sake of their troubled 16-year-old daughter Emily. But Lauren gets much more than she bargained for when information comes to light about Brian's shady business deals with his old colleague friend Jordan Connors and the crime lord Jorge Arena, jeopardizing Brian's estate and throwing the women into the world. World of high stakes illegal gambling. With only a few days to find out where Brian hid millions of dollars in bonds and in fear for their lives, Lauren and Jessica and Emily must set aside their differences and work together to secure their inheritance and evade Jorge Arena's murderous crew. Widows in Law is a gripping tale of mothers, daughters, wives, and ex wives broken and remade families, and unlikely partners in crime. Most of all, it is a moving story about the women left behind to clean up the messes men make. There you have it, folks. Hear, hear. That's better than anything we can say. And I think on that note, we should introduce this episode. Yeah.
0: So here is our very first author interview with Michelle W.
2: Miller. Enjoy. So I just first want to say thank you so much for being with us. Today, Michelle Lacey and I both really enjoyed your book I know that she read it in two days because she couldn't wow. put it down uh, Oh,
3: thank you it was so well done well, well written amazing character building I really enjoyed the characters and really felt like I knew them oh thank you so much oh <laughs> well, yeah it was really a really fun read
2: all right Uh what was the inspiration for Widows in Law
4: <laughs> all right so Widows in Law is the story of a first wife and second wife <laughs> who were left behind by a philandering uh up and coming attorney husband who dies suddenly, um Leaving behind a four million dollar dad who had been secretly involved with a bunch of criminals. So my sister, the inspiration for the book, although the character is nothing like my my sister. What happened is that when my niece was about fourteen years old and quite rebellious, like the character Emily, the idea for it came from my sister's relationship with the second wife of her ex-husband, who guys also suddenly, etc., of was various circumstances in a car crash, and they were both left behind to deal with a law partner who was not fairly really paying them what they thought was due, and a rebellious teenage daughter. So. There was such an interesting relationship that I thought that it would be such an interesting relationship for a crime thriller. And I used to call my um, sister's widow-in-law, the widow-in-law, and ask, how's the widow-in-law doing and the like? And we, you know, uh, it's sort of gallows humor, but it's been a long time, and my sister is my Biggest supporter, in case anybody is wondering what she feels about me writing (laughs) about this relationship. But it is, these are entirely different characters, and
2: it's entirely fiction.
4: (laughs) But the relationship was so interesting that a,
2: a crime thriller grew out of it. Well, that's really interesting that you were able to find real-life inspiration for this. I know one thing that Lacey and I talked about was you see it so often, the the first wife and the second wife, and they usually hate each other, and that's what the story is about them not getting along. But what we really loved was that you took that and you – Turned it, And you made them work together and really learn to see each other as people. Um, can you talk a little bit how you developed that storyline? And I found that the crime thriller
4: part, you know, and keeping it really tense and exciting is one aspect of it. But when I when you look at at authors like Stephen King and like the greats it's about the relationships and this relationship I definitely mm-hmm. did not want this to be like woman's fiction where it's like all about romance and about women right? not getting only with women I, in my life experience that we just look at the surface of people and below that surface is a, is, is a commonality amongst all of us and you know, I count among my friends many people from many different walks of life, and, and I think that that's a goal that perhaps we all should have, is to, to be able to look below the surface of the people. But it was really fun to have them misperceive each other and then get beyond it to find the things about each other that they could actually Admire and, and love And you know one of the things about these characters Is like they you know Are not always I guess quote unquote Likeable people are frequently wrong And people are frequently not quite Well it's, it's the human Condition, condition. so it was It's natural if you go into a Divorce or you're in these situations To have a lot, lot of anger And feel the unfair to Each other but to get past that Because of a common purpose is, is, is I think many of us are Are quite mature enough to do that but we don't see it portrayed enough, especially as two women. Absolutely. I
3: found the relationship between Jessica, Lauren and Emily, frankly, to be really refreshing because it's such a common relationship for people to have nowadays, but it's still, like we said portrayed in the media, normally one certain way. And another thing that I found really interesting about these characters is they took their because normally, Lauren and I were talking about it especially with female characters, if they have if they have to draw strength, it's like Oh, no, I can't. I'm not strong. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the strength appears. And what I really appreciated about your characters is they took their past trauma and their past situations, and they really used those things. That was where they drew their strength. And I thought that was really great. Can you speak about that a little bit? Well, you know, it's interesting because most of the
4: reviewers really like the characters and it's been it's been lovely to read everybody's reviews. But there's a couple, if there's been any complaints, like the couple who were like, oh, why are they whiny? Why are they crying? Right? Well, you know, when I write a character, I put myself into that character's skin. I try to get to know everything about that character. I write a, a biography for them. I understand who they are. And then like an actor, I guess, gets in under the skin of the person and mm-hmm. ins- they try to They try to wear that person's skin. And look, if I'm scared, if I've been betrayed, if I've been violated, sexually violated, traumatized, I might cry, you know? (laughs) Mhm, and you don't see that, you know, you certainly don't see it with male oriented which I think a couple of them should just like have a good cry but, uh-huh. you know, with, but with females, a, a female thriller, I'm going to be, that's, that's real to me, you know, so you're going to have some weakness and then you're going to have to go back and look at your reference points in your life and say I got through that, I got through this, like Lauren got through being a homeless addict on the streets of, of, of New York I If I could get through this, I can get through that, you know, yeah. and and that's like real life. Like, can mm-hmm. we still can we cry and can we be vulnerable and still be the heroes in our lives? And I, you know, I, you know, think that we can. Uh, of course, there's a, an element of suspension and disbelief. When you know, you know, you might want to just face with the things these women the face. Cause I, I don't know if I wouldn't just sort of crawl under a rock. Okay. You know? <laughs> a lot, but. You know um, you know i i do I love these women these strong women, and once I get in their skin, you know they deal with their trauma and they and they move on and um so that that is really the 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 orientation of them. And some people, a couple of them, I thought, you know, like I really, there's literally only a couple that
2: <laughs> didn't like
4: my characters. How dear are they! Uh, the the one that the, the one that has gotten the most criticism is the one that's most like me. So that's humbling. And <laughs> like the gritty, like I'm not everybody likes a a, a New Yorker, or especially a, a smart alecky streetwise New Yorker is not not everybody's favorite. But if you can get past that, or if you actually like New Yorkers, um, we are really nice people when it comes down to it. Then, you know, we get past
2: those prejudices. Well, that leads me into another question that I had. There's a big deal, especially with female characters, of they have to be likable or they can't have too many flaws. And that's one thing that I really loved about all three of your lead characters, aside from the fact that the book has three lead female characters, but none of them Mm -hmm. are perfect they all have issues that they've dealt with or issues that they are dealing with now but they, they're living their life and they're making strides. Did you get any pushback about them not being relatable or likable enough?
4: You know, two people could read them differently. I didn't. I wouldn't say that, you know, you get all sorts of opinions. Everyone has an opinion. You know, people put their own stuff on top of it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> So absolutely. Like if, and, and that's kind of like the moral of it, like not the moral of the story, but that's part of the story is that you put your own stuff on it. So, you know, if you don't read far enough to find out that the trope wife hasn't lived, you know, who's sort of upper upper class or upper middle class and has always had, you know, sort of a silver spoon compared to someone else, you know, um, if you're just going to stop there, then you're going to, you're not going to see what they're what they're really about, you know. So, you know, there's a couple of people that I'm not sure that they read, <laughs> they read the book. You know, because they didn't they didn't get to the humanity of the characters. Which mm. is you know, it was weird because, you know, I think Kirkis was talking about dynamic, uh, remarkable female characters and and then somebody else will say they're stock characters. Well I, I would I would venture to guess that's because you only read the beginning right. where I made them look like stock characters. <laughs> Yeah, and then we found out that they weren't, so I mean, I would venture to guess that those who felt that they could not relate to the characters were probably dealing with their own stuff, you know, although everyone has a right to their opinion, you know, I I don't, nobody's going to like this, you're not going to, you know, have 100% uh, love for your story, everybody has a right to, you have to have thick skin if you're a writer, because somebody has a right to not like it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
3: everyone has an opinion. (laughs) Yes. Uh, No, and I I really appreciated the characters because of how they were written. Because, like you said in the beginning, it's like if someone didn't read all the way in to see how the characters unfolded, that's the opinion they'd have. But they're so real, and they have these moments of triumph, and they have moments where they make mistakes. Right. Yeah, I, I, I am a fan. I am one. I am a positive review for you.
4: <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, one of the other themes is you know they're dealing with a lot of trauma, which I think yes. is, is very common for women. You know, one. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, women's thrillers and this is the time of women's thrillers. So it's just lucky that I wrote this book uh, before people were really, before the Me Too movement really got its full, you know, the full wind in its sails. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is well along. Sexual trauma that women experience and the and the post-traumatic stress that they women have is something that women have to work through every day. Yeah. And so here, you know, they Both of these women have been deeply traumatized by events in their lives. You don't get through those kinds of trauma without having to work through it and struggle through it and and to
2: fail. Yeah, definitely. Was there one of your characters that was more fun to write, or what was your favorite one to write?
4: Well, I would. I'd have to say that Emily was a lot of fun to write. You know, I Mm -hmm. myself was. My my niece was a a rebellious teenager, and so was I. (laughs) And but. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, so Emily is really snarky and smart and rebellious, and, and she sort of wrote herself to a great extent, and, she, and I, I, I really enjoy it. I have to say, sometimes with, with Emily's things, sometimes with all the things, like as a writer, I'm not really thinking, uh, at some level I'm not thinking when I'm writing it, I'm just writing it, and then when I read it, like, it just makes me chuckle because I don't even remember having written it and sometimes I don't remember having oh. written it. I with Emily and the hacker. I don't know if you remember that. Yes,
3: yes. yes. with Taboo. Where
4: she's going to try to find out um, what, you know, I think she was trying to, to break into her father's uh, computer and she met with the um, hacker and it was just like so fun. I, I yeah. don't feel like I create, I don't feel like I created it. You know, I just feel like I, when I read it, it's like I'm watching
2: it. You know, it comes from a different part, part of the brain so the part of my brain, brain that's reading it, it. It's just, you know, so it was fun writing. It really was. That was a really fun relationship between the two of them. And with the different characters in the book, while Jessica and Lauren's story kind of came to an end, we were wondering if you had thought about maybe writing any more books in this world that maybe featured some of the other characters as the the main protagonist. Right,
4: that's exactly, I ended up, like, I'm not really a person who loves series in a way, because I don't want to make it become in the middle, it can be kind of confusing, but I, I do love the idea of revisiting some of these characters. So the one I'm working on now, which I'm pretty far into, kind of, I'm working on a second draft of it at this point, Features Emily, about five or six years later, and her grandmother, Lauren's mother, who, if you remember from the book, was a really hopeless, uh, not very naive crack it. but it's, yeah. you know, t- 30 years later. And so she gets them into a bunch of mess, but she's not the teenager to be either. So, uh, oh, I
3: wow.
4: Yeah. And, and as you can imagine, Lauren may not be very happy about Emily being involved with her grandmother.
3: Yeah. That was actually something I was curious about, because we didn't hear a lot about Lauren's mom. So I was... That was something that I was curious about, so I'm really excited to learn more about that project. Yeah, and again, it's like this one, like you know, what do you
2: know
4: as a teenager about the things that your parent that were motivating your parents, and like mm-hmm. what kind of assumptions do you come to? Well, Lauren, the last time she had had any real interaction with her mother was when she was a teenager, and her mother was addicted to crack. So, well, it's clear in the book that Lauren was not a happy camper <laughs> about about what happened to her, but it, the story was much. Different than Lauren imagined it to be, but that doesn't mean that the family is not going to get into a whole bunch of trouble.
2: Well, we will look forward to reading that. (laughs)
3: Yes, Yes. I have Um. a very
4: cute. I have a very cute name for it, but I'm not. I'm not sharing it.
3: (laughs) Okay. Well, we will read on page (laughs) breath. Okay. Very excited to read that. Well, let's talk about you a little, Michelle. So. You're a, a lawyer, correct? Yes. So you're a lawyer. You're the mother of twins. Yes. You just happen to write books yes. in your spare time. Uh-huh. So how do you manage to do all of these incredible things? Well,
4: I mean, I don't know if you've heard about how bad the subways are in New York. It's the biggest story of uh, in New York. We This is a big story um, because the subways are sort of failing. And, and for a few years there, you know, we've been sitting in tunnels an awful lot. And I have a little three-pound laptop and i write entire books on the subway. So, wow. That that is the biggest part of my writing. I do try to get as much as i can done on the on the weekends, particularly editing, but first drafts are almost completely on the subway. And um i am one of those people that hustles to get a seat, but i'm lucky to get a seat 90% of the time. So that basically the way I'm able to write books because I do have a very I'm in a very demanding litigation job, and so it is really really hard to find the time. And of course, I have two kids. Uh, the other couple of things that I've is that I never watched an episode of a Game of Thrones. Okay, right? How many days would that be of my life? Right? That, I think that's yeah. a couple. That's at least like something like 40 or 60 episodes. So. Yeah you've already saved so much time my goodness exactly um (laughs) i've only watched a couple of seasons of the office so that helps okay because you 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 could write entire and like really truthfully and what that really says is that i am very careful about how i spend my time there is no way to get all this done in this so i mean my house is messier than yours probably
3: (laughs) maybe (laughs) maybe I don't know. I'm looking at my house right now, and I don't know. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, there are are things there. everybody pays the price. a little bit of a price for
4: my, um, you know, work on ballads. But those are mine, the subway, Game of Thrones, and a messy house,
3: all right. Do you find uh, do you find that instead of watching like TV shows, like like you said, you kind of see the scene play out for you? Is it, does that kind of feel like TV for you when you're writing? Oh yeah.
4: And I mean, I actually get unhappy if I don't have anything to write about. You know, I mean, it's a little bit strange because people wonder how can you get on the train after you've been working in a legal job like. 10 hours intensely a day and how do you just get on the train and open a laptop and start writing fiction and it is a different energy it is so cathartic it is it is a relaxation I look forward to my subway rides and and I even look forward to subway delays (laughs) (laughs) I'm the only one in New York who looks forward to subway delays but it is my it is very relaxing and and, uh, cathartic for me so yeah I I don't feel like I'm. Well, sometimes, like when I see that everybody else is talking about a show, I do feel like I'm I, I'm out of step with the world. We we're careful about what we watch. If my kids are interested in a series, and you know that will be the time I'll watch that. They're teenagers, so luckily, you know we've moved past SpongeBob and we're we're watching good stuff together. So uh, comedies that maybe no one else likes that last for about two seasons and then disappear. But um, <laughs>
3: Oh, yeah, those are the best. We're frequent offenders of those shows as well.
4: So, yeah, my, the writing does replace, replace a lot of that.
3: Well, and it's really fun to hear you talk about that and hear like you talk about having a very intense job working in litigation. That was one aspect I really liked about the book was all of the kind of legal information and knowledge that was in there because it was things that I never would have thought about. But it's like the way that these characters thought and the information that was in there. It was like, oh, this is really informative.
4: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, yeah, if you're ever arrested, you'll know what's going to happen next.
3: Oh, yeah. And if I ever get um, somehow involved with a mob, I'm going to know, like, what not to do. Right.
4: (laughs) Don't ever say their names. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, I mean, I did base the hitman on a real hitman who's in New York State Prison. He's doing life, so I think, you know, Mm -hmm. that name is very close to the guy's real name. Uh, you could get sued and I'm like you're in jail for life is a, the worst most sadistic uh mafia hitman in history. I I somehow don't think I that he's gonna have much uh cause to sue me for uh basing a character on him.
3: Yeah, but. yeah.
4: You might be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I could probably get away with that. But yeah, I do. My little lawyer of mine does uh does work on uh overtime, both trying to keep me out of trouble with the other and um yeah, everything ends up more comp like you know, it ends up more complicated than it needs to be because everything has to make legal sense and, and there those things that happen like for instance I had Emily, I dare I, I guess it's okay to have some spoilers here, but Emily, you know, was she was 16, and I had to make her 16 because she wouldn't have been kept in the same book and uh, with Jessica in the criminal courts unless she was 16. And then New oh. York changed. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that makes, makes so, so much legal, sense. <laughs> there were legal issues that you have no idea that played into it that weren't discussed. You know, but but. The problem is that while, you know, right before this book came out, um, they changed New York law to keep 16 to 16 and 17 year olds out of the adult jails because obviously oh. that doesn't make any sense. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? But, you know, I, I, my friends in the courts told me that's not completely implemented mm-hmm. yet and that they probably would mm-hmm. have spent a little time in the adult jail together. So, but things like that, you know, and the, the other, another interesting thing was that, you know, I'm a, Uh, I prosecute public officials for ethics violations uh, Mm. in New York City. Um, I'm in charge of that for the city. And so I regulate everybody from the garbage man up to the mayor. And I've prosecuted district attorneys and the like. And I wrote the scene, it's kind of nuanced, but in terms of the legal issues, and a lot of people don't know it, but I wrote the scene of, more in representing the women in uh, New York criminal court and didn't realize when I wrote it. I wrote it before I took my current job and didn't realize it was an ethics violation for her to do that.
2: And so oh. then I was
4: like, I was considering about, yeah, like, it's against city rules for a city attorney to represent somebody against the interests of the city. So, I, I mean, it's a complicated legal thing, but I was like, you know what, I'm just going to keep it. And if, you know, now if you, if you listen to this podcast, you can find some legal errors as well as the correct stuff. But I was like, you know what, let's, let us let somebody get kick out of finding out that, you know, they knew something was wrong.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. No, and that's actually one of my favorite parts of the book because Lauren gets to have that awesome shining moment. Mm. So I really, I really appreciated that scene. That's yeah. Cool.
4: That I Jeremy something. um Jeremy Harold or Harold Jeremy. I Harold, can't yeah. The guy, Harold with the two first names. He he appears again in the second book.
3: Oh, okay. yeah. That was a really fun chapter, fun part to listen to. I was listening to that last night. And I was just going, yes, yes, him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was very gratifying after all they had been through.
4: Yeah, it is funny. You got to have some catharsis. Yes, absolutely.
2: So both of us said that we could see this being made into a movie. Is there any buzz on that possibly happening?
4: Well, you know, my agent has it out. Um, It's nothing to really speak about at this point. The timing was a little funky because the the movie The Widows came out about a month before the book came out. Mm -hmm. And that was when she was marketing the movie rights. Very avidly, and so the the I, the, the names are very similar. Mm-hmm. So, going a little bit more slowly, but we are still in the works, and um, hopefully, you will see it as a. I I would rather see it as a Netflix series or that kind. of – Doesn't have to be Netflix. Anybody's series. Um, I think that would be a, it would be a fun series. And since I have the next. The next season already lined up, in my second book, I'm just thinking that would
3: be fun. This would actually make an excellent TV show, or miniseries, like you were saying. Because yeah. even Laura and I were throwing around, because we talked about, it's very different, but we talked about the series You on Netflix, which is obviously mm-hmm. very different right. tonally. But right. we were we thought about it in that format. Because yeah, I
4: I have to watch it because I heard your podcast on it and it sounded so interesting and I haven't watched
3: it yet. Okay, yeah, it's pretty intense, but I could just see this story being something that people would like binge watch mm. series over because mm-hmm. it's like I like Laura said, I I listened to this in two days. I think this would make an excellent any kind of TV movie miniseries.
4: Your lips to God's ears, as they say. So hopefully, hopefully yeah. that will ha- come to pass. I do yeah. have somebody who does a series like that, a director reading it. So you know we'll see. Hey, we we'll keep there our you fingers go. crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, thank for you. sure.
3: So I know we had talked a little bit. Like you haven't really thought about who who would play these characters, but I was just curious if anything had popped up or any any names were in your head.
4: No, I'm forgetting her name. Okay, I'll tell you who I would like to, to. And I'm I'm forgetting her name. You know the young lady that played the sister and. Black Panther. Oh yes, I want her to play all of the characters.
3: Just all <laughs> I of them.
4: I'm just so enamored of her. I would like. I would like to see her play every one of the characters. What do you think? <laughs> I'd watch I it. I
3: love that. No, I love that <laughs> actor. What, Letitia Wright? Right, right. Who so played Princess Shuri? Yes, I know exactly yeah. who you're talking about. Yeah,
4: I mean she's smart. She's tough. She's, like, sort of a superhero without superpowers, you know. Um, yeah, I like I like her.
3: <laughs> I like her, too.
4: If she was younger, she could be Emily.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that, yeah. So you, do you guys have any ideas? Well, I don't know why. When I was reading this, very different. But I kind of saw in the part of Jessica just Chastain, just because I, I've been familiar with her work, like, um, in The Help. And she's kind mm. of played that kind of pampered kept person or woman, and then ends up she has she was able to stand on her own two feet, mm-hmm. and so I know that she kind of has the vulnerability and the range to mm. be able to kind of accomplish a character like Jessica Lauren, on the other hand, like I'm thinking about all of these things, Lauren, I don't have cast pet. let me see i had I actually had someone I thought would be really great for Carl, oh yeah which is also my husband's name, so it got really uh, confusing when, when Laura and I were talking about the, uh, the book because he's like, what? What did I do? <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> Her husband
2: is also an actor, so I thought she meant that uh, she wanted to cast him in it. <laughs> oh, well,
4: what do you think? I mean, he's pretty good. Yeah. Cause, can, you know, sexy character. He's really, he's a nice, he's a, nice, he's a fun guy, you know. Wouldn't yeah. kick him out of bed, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. He was, was enjoyable to listen about but there's this there's we actually just attended a festival here in austin and they had a screening of a new show that's going to be on cbs i believe um and there's an actor his name's frank hart and i could just see him as carl so
2: it um, yes yes because i would be very happy to watch this so we'll just a couple more questions and then we'll sure. let you go um One thing that I did want to talk to you about was I was very interested in the um, Jewish elements that you incorporated into the book because most thrillers, they don't put things in that or they, you know, get past the funeral really fast. And I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned the traditions. And I'd like you to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about uh, what was inspiration to put that in and why you decided to do that. I... Didn't actually consciously decide
4: to to do it. I don't even think I noticed it at first. You know, I um, I've written about a lot of different um, ethnic groups and my fiction, and I guess because my sister is Jewish, uh, I it, it just started off as Jewish. And then when I write, I again I just I'm in the skin. I'm not really thinking about it. So I do this funeral, and that was a really excellent way to introduce the various players, you know, um, which you want to at least have people know who are you, who are your player, your people going to be, um, you know, then when I get to the editing portion of it, I start to think about what needs to go on, what needs to stay. And I actually considered taking that out, but then I was like, no, I, you know, I like the way their lives turned, everything is normal. This is what happens, you know, someone yeah. dies. And there's a funeral, someone dies, and your family's around i mean like I like we have these books where it's like you have to sort of kill off everybody's families because you know I mean they kill them off like in their backstory, but nobody should have a family because nobody has the normal things going on that happen to normal mm. people when something goes on when bad things happen to good people, you end up with a funeral, you end up having your parents with all their troubles there you end up dealing with. The fact that your parents used to be protectors of you are now shorter than you, you know, mm-hmm. and all well, the people that you were so intimidated by, and 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 it was really fun also to to set up the various uh, elements of suspense within within the um, within the studio because you have the people showing up who are not behaving as one would think they were going to behave. And mm-hmm. and so that makes you say, like, you know, really what is going on here? So I think if, like, somebody like Stephen King teaches us anything, it's that the suspense comes from the small stuff as much as from the big stuff. But, like, it's not yeah. – when you read a Stephen King novel, he he creates a world, and and he creates people that you really care about. And mm-hmm. you
2: don't just want to know –
4: about whatever the monster is or whatever the crime is you want to know how is that person going to deal with their problems with other people or they you know somebody who's stalking, like somebody who's you know not stalking them as being the bad bad but just talking them in their normal life you just want to know these various things about about the people so you know i set it up that way now the, the interesting thing is the from a jewish perspective you know Jews are very are very diverse and, and come from very different places. So it was also part of the story of Jessica and Lauren, like where at some point, and one of the reasons why I, I kept it in is because at some point Lauren is like, You know, we're as different as anything can be. You know, we're both Jewish. We both slept with Brian, you know, but a thousand people could say that, you know, she's a Republican for God's sake. And so, you know, and it's like, um, like there's even, even among Jews, there's Jews that are, you know, that like Jews can't, you know, are very unlikely to talk about. Israel with each other if they come from yeah. the opposite ends of the spectrum because there's it's such a huge issue that they you yeah. know, and that there are both ends of the spectrum are right here. And I think that we're seeing that in the political environment now. Um, mm-hmm. that that you can really be and there's more secular Jews and there's more and the, and
3: yeah. That's Which really is, cool.
4: It's life too, it's with Christians too. I mean the younger younger people are much more likely to have You know, no religious affiliation nowadays. So that's, you know, part of the world we live in is that like a lot of a lot of division and much less unity in terms of how people look at things.
3: Yeah. So that kind of leads into a really great question. So in the world of mysteries and thrillers, it has been largely dominated by men for a long time. And there was actually an article that came out recently that we'll link to where they asked two male authors how to write good female characters. Well, as an author and a woman, what advice would you give for aspiring writers on on writing well-crafted, well-rounded characters?
4: Well, I mean, the first thing is don't make the story be about the men, you know? Yeah. (laughs)
3: Like (laughs) how many
4: how many thrillers do you see with main female characters where the strange man comes to town and they fall in love and is he who he seems to be, you know, and it overcomes, yeah. it's like 50% of it is about the dude, you know, and like there's a sort of demand for that in female oriented crime fiction, you know, and so we got some of that with Carl but we uh-huh. didn't make it the point of the book, you know? <laughs> it was just there because it's part of life, but it shouldn't be mm-hmm. any more the point of the book than it is when men are, you know, the star of the thriller. Um, right. And we are just way too oriented in our in, in, in female fiction towards toward yeah. men. I think also it's really important to know a lot of different kinds of people. <laughs> you yeah. know, as a general proposition, if you're a guy and... Um, and you objectify women, then, you know, what are you, what are you going to write? You know, you're, mm-hmm. so it's really important. I just think for the general proposition, it's you know, something that I bring to my fiction. Like, even though these characters are sort of homogeneous, and, you know, they're all, uh, the women at least are all, you know, white, female, Jewish women, um, which sort of came as a surprise to me after I wrote it. I was like, Oh, they're all white Jewish female women But you know <laughs> really um you know, just knowing a lot of different people and then knowing your own character, get her backstory really figure out where she's been and just get in her skin and um if you know a lot of different kinds of people you can write with more nuance about about how people would react because mm-hmm. we all have our stories and the the real life stories that people are far more interesting than fiction, I think. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess that would be, I don't know, like, I think that, like, also with men's fiction, like, when you look at the movie, like, John Wick, I I mean, I love that movie, right? The first mm-hmm. one, at least. Mm-hmm. But these are, you know, but it's, there's a lot of weapons and a lot of, it's just all based on on, on having a bunch of weapons, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> real you know, in real life, I mean some women are going to have killers, women with a lot of weapons. I guess Fred still have Blake, which was really a fun a fun reading. She had an awful lot of weapons. But um, um they didn't but they didn't they didn't gloss over her trauma in that book. It actually it's 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 a pretty interesting book about a woman who's the uh whose husband was a serial killer. And oh wow. You know, yeah, and and basically, trying to keep herself and her kids safe after it becomes public that her husband was like a serial killer, and it was just uh, it, the the trauma was right right up there.
2: I'm sorry, what was the name of that book again? I think it was Stillhouse Lake.
4: And I can't tell you the name of the author, but it was an interesting, fun read. I I mean, I also think that I mean one of the tricks with I think with thrillers is not to have them end up being you know they sort of all end up the same with uh, mm. two guys yeah. and sister cuffs having <laughs> thrown away their weapons and fighting on top of a moving train.
2: You know, yeah.
4: like, 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 I felt like, you know, Gone go, Girl was, like, fantastic the first half, but at some point it became sort of a cliche, sort of thriller with the woman being kidnapped. It's like, I'm trying to avoid any women in my books being kidnapped. Yeah. You no, know? <laughs> <laughs> it's always <laughs> They're always getting kidnapped, and then they have to fight. They're, you know, somebody has to come save them, or they have to fight. I, I, yeah, and so trying to like not, you know, that's like a real challenge with thrillers, when especially if the character oriented is is not falling into that like that final scene. You know, because with women, it's not going to be that yeah. most of the time.
2: Right. So who are some of your favorite authors? Well, I've like, got to tell you, I haven't read, I haven't thought, really loved any of his books since 11,
4: 23, 63. That was fantastic. I, I like um, Fiona Barton. The the book is The Widow. I I like the British authors, Girl on the Train. i just jealous that she thought about, using blackouts to such a good effect, like not really remembering (laughs) what happened. I mean, and now people are writing blackouts into their book, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's a little too late for that. You missed (laughs) that train. That girl in the train had that. (laughs) Uh, You you don't get to do that now. You know, another book that started off like the best first chapter ever was uh, Noah Hawley's Before the Fall. Uh I I
2: think that won
4: the Edgar Award. Have you guys
2: read it? That's a really great book. What right. what's you,
4: the
2: title? Uh, before the fall. I mean,
4: before the first, fall. Yeah, I mean, I again, I wasn't I didn't I? I don't know. Sometimes people don't know how to end a book, and it was okay, okay. the way it ended. But the first chapter, where well, you got a guy who's in the plane plane crash, and he's in the middle of the ocean, and has to swim for nine hours in the dark with a child on his shoulders, hanging on a oh. child. You're gonna love that guy and that kid for the rest of the book. I mean, I yeah, that was the best first chapter. Best, best first chapter in a in a uh, suspense novel ever, I think. <laughs> really wow. great. And I also love Jasmine Ward. Not crime at all, but okay. um, when it, it Salvaged the Bones, she won the uh, National Book Award. Two years in a row, I think it was, or twice. She definitely won it twice.
2: Wow. And uh,
4: Salvage the Bones was my favorite. It's literary, very gritty. Um, Um, But I know I love a book if I, when I get to the end, I start again and read it a second time. You know? Yep. I do, I do the same thing.
3: Do you? I do because I was sitting here because I want to listen. I want to listen to *Widows and Law* again. That's what I called earlier. Thank you. I really, yeah, yeah.
4: So Salvage so the Bone* was like *Bones* was like that to me too, but it's a very dense read, um, and but just amazing in terms of the character and just loving folks that are really improbable. Like one of the guys, like. They fight pit bulls. You know, you would think you would hate them, right? People who are fighting pit bulls. Like, mm-hmm. But you you end up, like, loving these characters and wow. understanding where they come from. Yeah, great book. So now everybody go out and buy somebody else's book.
3: <laughs> well, that, that actually leads into a really good question. So uh, when people are done reading Widows in Law, because they're all going to go out and get copies right now after this episode – what should they read or watch next? Oh, I don't know. I I am um. I mean,
4: the books that I just mentioned. I'm currently reading Mother-in-Law, okay. which okay, I just you know I don't know why, but I just happen to be. I just like the British. The British authors seem to be doing something with crime, you know, and female characters that is really interesting. Um, so um, I don't know whether I'm going to like the book at the end, and I kind of. Like, it sort of had some of that typical, f- you know, female crime fiction thing going with it at the beginning. But, I, you know, as I've been going along, I'm starting to say, okay, what's going on here? It's interesting and kind of funny and very relatable. So that's what I'm kind of reading. Um, you, if, you, if you finish Widow's Alone, you like it, then you could read The 13 Steps mm-hmm. on the Recovery, which is my book that came out before that.
3: Yeah. Um,
4: that's
3: always a good thing to read.
4: Yeah, but, those uh, are like great recommendations. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a very different book. It's about uh, a zombie apocalypse where all, the only people who survive the apocalypse that happens very quickly are people with the addict or alcoholic scene. So that means that... On um, addicts, alcoholics, and people who are children of addicts or alcoholics are um, the only survivors. And, you know, like widows and lawyers, it's an unlikely relationship because what I'm doing is I'm pairing, I'm putting together a group of people who naturally hate each other. <laughs> Yeah, You know, most addicts and uh, most children are alcoholics, like, oh, you know, have really hard time with their parents because they've, you know, been left with all this neurosis. And, um, and the addicts and alcoholics may not love them that much because, you know, they've been sort of natural enemies their yeah. <laughs> entire lives um, hiding the booze or, you know, or the money from them. But um you know, so they're they're thrown together and have to survive in a, a new world and, and I like you know, I tend to like uh apocalypse sort of stories because of the the, the idea of things being swept clean and, and having the hope of a new life. Mm-hmm. So I just, I I could have found it fun living in that. So after Widows and Laura it's it's an entirely different world than Widows and Laura. <laughs>
2: Before we go, is there um, anything else that you wanted to talk about?
4: Well, you know, uh, I, I I would just say, you know, if you're a writer, to keep writing. Um, mm-hmm. It's not... I have found that it's not all about context, I know, sometimes I've had, you know, all the context in the morning couldn't, couldn't get any rhythm and sometimes you have nothing but to have a hook and, and you refuse to give up and you get incredibly lucky in terms of timing, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of it is about timing, so if you're writing,
3: keep writing. Um,
4: and um i hope people will continue to support books i i also do the i tend to do books and i listen i read and i listen and um so that helps me to, to get to read and 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 ingest more more literature because i can do that while cooking for the kids and doing all that kind of things uh it sounds like you guys are doing similar yeah <laughs> so uh hopefully you know, the trends will continue with more people, um, being interested in the written word or the spoken word, and, Mm -hmm. um, we could keep bringing great stories to people and I hope everybody will read widows and more if they if we haven't spoiled it for you already.
3: Yes, if you have not read Widows in Law, go pick it up or download it today
2: so Michelle, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun to talk to you today. Oh, um, we really appreciate you coming on the show well wow, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun, so you told me that a lot of the issues in the book were things that you have dealt with in your own life. How did your personal story influence widows in law right um you know lawrence block,
4: block has a A lovely quote that he says, "I've lived more lives than a cat." I don't know where he got that from, but it's it is true. (laughs) I mean, I uh, am an attorney. I've been an attorney uh, for quite some time now, and even uh, focusing on ethics enforcement. But uh, you know, um, I was you know, Lauren was a homeless teenage addict, and I was a homeless uh, twenty-something addict at um, one point uh Lauren's factory was also inspired by a bunch of homeless kids that I knew back when I was in early recovery from my addiction. Um, and I was, a, you know, I was a teenage addict. But I, um, as a former criminal myself, because anybody who uh, does drugs
2: <laughs> is committing
4: a <laughs> crime every time they buy them or possess them. Mm-hmm. um and i was uh, pretty nefarious in in my heyday you know i've known i've known a lot of criminals <laughs> Interestingly, you know, I I discussed the, um, the hitman in uh, in the book, and I didn't, didn't know that hitman, and luckily did not become a victim to him. But years later, I I read a, a true crime book, I, I I saw it, and I was like, oh my god, I knew that guy. And not only did I know that guy, but I was alone with that guy, and I was his you know prime target. Of of it. it was just mm-hmm. traumatizing. I mean, I I think that um so I've also, you know, known um uh cartel leaders <laughs> and mm-hmm. have played with their children. So I've had a lot of that kind of thing but I also am very close to being in contact. You know, I've talked about like, as you know, um as women the primary sexual trauma. I have, you know, been the victim of um uh, violent sexual trauma. Um and I also have I've had a great deal of trauma from being an addict. You know, um, I've been clean a very, very long time. I won't say how long because um, it would uh, date me. But I've been clean for um, half of my life, and um, a lot of people uh, focus on the trauma that uh, addicts do to uh, those around them, which is certainly terrible, and Mm -hmm. I certainly did that to my own family but once addicts get clean they do um have a great deal of trauma themselves and so mm-hmm. i do have the trauma of having spent some time in the notorious rikers island jail system i um have the trauma of being having been homeless and of being you know living in fear and uh losing everything um and over the years i have you know as you've heard from our discussion. Maybe I am no longer in that, and I've, I've, I've long come out of that. But the best just do stay. So when when um, I deal with the characters having to work through their traumas, because I know what that is. Mm-hmm. So, if any of my readers are experiencing that or have experienced that, I um, just want to say there's hope, and that you don't have to stay in that.
3: Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're
4: welcome.
3: Yeah. yeah, I know that that is very powerful to hear.
4: I hope so. I hope so. I, I, a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, it's a really hopeless place to be when you're when you're in the, the grips of an addiction.
2: Well, yes, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to talk to us and um, we are definitely looking forward to that second book coming out. Thank and you. if you'd like to come back and talk about it when the time comes just let us know oh i will thank
1: you very much thank Thank you you so much much.
3: same to you congratulations on on your two books and you know best of luck on the next one
1: so we definitely want you to go follow michelle you can check her out on twitter at michelle w miller underscore the underscore is at the end so it's michelle w miller underscore on twitter and she also has a website which is michelle WMiller.com.
0: And that's Michelle with one L. M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Yes.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at podcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.